and my name is Karen Wright. It is 934. Joining me now, I'm excited to say she's back from the south of in Georgia, our good friend Barb Lamson. Good morning, Barb. Hey, Karen, and it is great to be back. I don't mind the cold because uh, it's just so good to be back with friends and family and and familiar surroundings. And what was the temperature swing from Georgia up to here? Well, I'm just you know, curious because, I mean, now okay. with the... 14 so, below or so. So yesterday it was 70 degrees. I talked to my daughter and she and the puppies were out <laughs> on the patio. and, and it, But, you know, it really did get down to um, freezing. On two different nights we had light frost and we had to move the plants in. But... Um, you know, for Christmas, we bought her one of these rolling carts like you sometimes see used in uh, in uh, big box stores where they, when they're going to supply their shelves, they, they have these carts and they can Is stack. Is it kind of like our, our music carts we have here, sort of? They're uh, no, it's oh. flat. It's oh, very it's flat. flat. Okay, you gotcha. could hook a little tractor onto it. Gotcha. Got, bought her one of those, and she can just... Uh, so instead of carrying things back into the garage at night, you could just put them on this rolling cart, and then the next day, uh, when it was warmer, you could put up the garage door and let the sun come in. And, and of course, preparing for, I always think when we get a cold spell, it can last a long time. There, you're looking at one night. Right. So and, it's and over. then yeah, and then it's over. And they've also had since we left, we've had they've had rain, which um, you know. Uh, it, it, I think of a soft, gentle rain, and it's warm, and that renews everything. But it is interesting the the 1,200 miles. How you mean coming back home from Georgia? Yeah, it's it, what a difference we have in climate and uh, the things that you can grow. Uh, you know, when we went when we went through uh, Alabama, especially when we left in November, there was still cotton in the fields. They hadn't picked it yet. And uh, pretty soon we were back in Alabama for a, a little five-stay vacation along the Gulf, and, and uh, the, all the cotton was picked. But their season, their growing season, whether it's agriculture or uh, plants and home, it's so much longer. Oh, yeah. And, and they stay green because they have those beautiful magnolia trees. They don't lose their leaves. They're evergreen. And those leaves are so big. We were at um, a parade, a downtown parade in Columbus in December, about the middle of December. Now, and Columbus, Georgia? Columbus, Georgia. Okay. Yes. And, of course, this is in inland. This is um, up from the coast. It's about four hours inland from there. And those... Uh, magnolia leaves were used for decorating floats. Can you imagine having so many magnolia trees that you would cut off branches and use those greens because they're shiny? They, oh, pretty. They, they look like they've got... Uh, it's like the Rose Bowl, except it's magnolias. Yeah, yeah, it, right, exactly. And it wasn't the flowers, it was the leaves and, that, they, that they were using. And there are other trees, too. They have uh, trees that just don't leave, lose their leaves in the winter. There are some that do, and and they're just uh, seeing all that green really makes a difference. Now the lawns, the type of grass that they grow, which is like the zosia, which uh, it as soon as it starts uh, being drier, it uh, there's not as much rain. Then this grass gets real brown. So a lot of but it's not dead. No, it goes dormant, okay. and, and then in the when they start getting rain on a regular basis again, it will it will green up. Are they obsessed with lawns like some of 
people he- here are where we have the, the Kentucky bluegrass and people water it because they want to keep it green, even mm-hmm. though it's okay to go dormant. Do they do that down there too, or are they a little more conservative? You know, I I think it's 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 individual, like it is here, here too. Same thing. Okay. Yeah, some people the the lawn is everything. For other people, it's what you plant in the lawn. It's the trees, the shrubs, the plants, and having things look natural. You know, the more I think about it, seeing masses of Kentucky bluegrass in yards, and then these uh, cookie cutter. Uh, plants in there, which everybody's are similar. They match a pattern. There's a pattern to the landscape. That, you know, that isn't so attractive to me anymore. I like to see... It's because they hire the same landscapers or the builders doing the same, basically, plan, the same plants and everything. And, you know, we talk about all the time the importance of diversity. And I I believe when I first started out, I was planting a lot of the same things everybody else was, too, because that's what you knew. And now that you, you get into it and you see there's so much diversity out there that can add so much just interest. Yes, yes. And that's the thing, finding something so that you have texture and color and size and something that blooms and and that can carry you through the four seasons. Because we really do have a lot of what would be a down season uh, into the fall and winter where we don't have leaves on our trees and shrubs and things. So look for that kind of diversity. The other thing is, it's good to be back and see my house plants. You know, my lovely neighbor, Mrs. J takes care of plants, and she comes over and she talks to them and waters them and worries about them, and she sends me little notes telling me how things are going. Oh, so the the it's pl- like your little children she's caring for. Yes, she takes this very seriously and she enjoys doing it. And I said, you know, you don't have to do this. You know, you you know this isn't necessary. Oh no, this is what she likes to do. And we should let people know Mrs. Jensen is in her 80s, so she's a sweet lady who's she just is. a great neighbor. Yes, and you wouldn't know she was in her 80s. She's very much um take charge kind of person. Like and, you, Barb. Oh. <laughs> And I hope that I am able to do the things that she still does. She still shovels her snow oh, wow. off from her driveway. Good for her. Yes, she she just just amazing. But one of the things I I was thinking about with uh, indoor plants, with the house plants, I am beginning to fall in love with the succulents. These are the plants that have those thicker leaves on them, mm-hmm. and they really do well in. Our houses. Where if we you put, neglect them. Yes. and <laughs> Because that's one of the things heat. I like. Well, yeah. And like you said, with the heat. But that's one of the things I've li- begun to like about succulents as well. Because if you do forget to water them, they're not going to wither and die right away. Because they store a lot of that moisture in their, their leaves, which is why they're so plump. That's and right. so they... And same with like a... Um, a ponytail palm. You see they've got the ones with the, the long leaves on the top that look like they're... Well, a ponytail, and then at the bottom, it's got that big, thick base, and they store their water in there. So sure. if you don't want, you don't have to water them, but once a month. Yeah, you know, and it's so interesting because I have about five of these succulents now, and so Mrs. J told me before I left, she said, "You have to write a note for each plant because I don't <laughs> want to kill it. So if it takes a half a cup of water a week, you write on there." 
one half cup one time a week. So I, I have to make a little notes for all these little plants then. And, and so you have course, sticky notes everywhere. Uh, yes, yeah, sticky notes work really great. And um, the succulents will let you know if they're not happy because they will start shriveling. They can't tolerate all that water. Right. They so, don't like it. Yeah. And, and you know, the I bought a plant this fall, and I believe it was at a grocery store. It was a succulent. And one plant. And when I came back... I had the main plant, and I had three little little pop-ups coming mm-hmm. beside it. And so I have moved them into their own little pot. So I can see where these succulents could really take over. They could really, you know, you could say, okay. Well, I had some of that. I think it's called Angelonia. It's a succulent that that's kind of looks like a... a uh, I guess it's it's long and skinny with like prickly things all over, so like a little hairy worm or something. But it's that bright chartreuse greenish mm-hmm. color. And I had some in a pot, and they started to fall out. I've got them growing all over the, in the uh, front of my house now, but I like it. It's kind of a, a carpet of yes. of bright greens interspersed between other plants, and it, so they've actually done very well. They don't really even need to have any dirt hardly on them. They just fall off, and then they just sort of. They they begin developing new yeah, roots. Yeah. You know, I have a jade tree that does that. And um, this year, uh, the jade tree bloomed. It it, it, it seems like um, it likes to grow in a compacted uh, pot, but it seems like it takes a couple years in between. It'll bloom, and then uh. you won't see it for a while. And I don't do anything differently. It's just that it takes it probably because it doesn't get that much sunlight. If it were outside, it would, it would sure. you know, do better. Now, Sansevieria, which is w- that tall plant that we call snake plant, or we call mother-in-law's tongue, right. that plant also likes to be really compact. And I started... You mean pot-bound, more or less? Yes, root-bound. And I started out with one spear of that. I want to get that. Maybe could I get one of your spears and start yes, my own? Okay. Yes, you can. And and that also bloomed this fall before I left. What is a bloom on those? I've never seen one of those it, um It comes up from the base. and Like it, a long stalk? It has a stalk. And in my plant, it was about, I'm going to say, 12 inches tall, mm-hmm. maybe 14. And it had little tiny white flowers oh. on either side. And the reason that I knew it was blooming, because it bloomed, it was facing the window, uh-huh. it bloomed on that side, I could smell something really sweet uh-huh. and fragrant. And I have a good nose. And so I turned this plant around, and sure enough, there it was. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't have noticed had you not noticed the smell. Right, right. So th- that was great. So that must be a, an attractor for pollinators, oh, too. Oh, absolutely. Did you see my big bloom when you came back? Karen, I did. As a matter of fact, it's kind of the talk of the building. People are saying, wow, can you imagine we got this tropical plant? And yes. It is. It's a bird of paradise, which I've never, ever raised before. Have you raised them before? Never. I've never had the room or thought I had the room. Well, I never thought I'd have the money to buy one because... Last it was last summer they were fifty bucks and I thought oh they're so beautiful but I'm not paying fifty bucks for a potted plant so um, lo and behold it was I think kind of later in the summer and this one it had a few bug bites in some mm-hmm, of the leaves mm-hmm. and I thought and it was down to five dollars yeah and I thought well you know I can treat this to get rid of these these bugs and if I do. Well, if I don't and they die, I'm up five bucks. Okay, not a big deal. So I did, and you know, I did some in, uh, soap, insecticide, and stuff. And so, 
took care of it, and then I put it in the window here at the university, which is our responsibility. So if anybody wants to come and see some plants, Barb and I maintain those. And, uh, you notice I put little signs in front to educate yes. as well. Well, so I put this there, and it was just, you know, it's the, the, the foliage itself on a, a bird of paradise is nice. It's kind of tropical. It, and it's, it, it doesn't, um, it does look tropical. It, the foliage, it's green. It's just green yeah. and it's round the and it's tall and it's round shaped. It it's almost like an umbrella plant or something. You know, yeah. you'd think you Things could stand underneath it and keep the rain off. Well, them. not it's too long ago, I noticed these big stalks coming up, and then they started to kind of get an angle on them, and I thought, that's going to be a bloom. I was so excited, so I reported it at one of our division meetings. I said, if you want to, because it was so cold, if you want to feel springy, I said, by next week, there's going to be something there to watch. So you are right. It is the talk of the building. But do you know I did a little research on the bird of paradise, and potted, it takes them at least three to five years before they will bloom. Sure. Because they're also kind of like the clivia plant, which we both have. Mine yes. has not yet bloomed. But they like to be pot-bound before they can get the bloom. And so you say, well, gosh, it's so big. Maybe I should repot it. I'm not going to because then no. I would lose my bloom. Just just leave it the way it is. The The hardest thing for, for that bird of paradise is that window really does get cool. It's cool, but it's still blooming. So it probably would even be more lush if it wasn't so cool. Yes. There. You have to. And the thing of it is um, the leaves come out like an umbrella yeah. and and you have to be watching it and turning it so that they don't go on the glass because if they go on the glass then you lose them and of course you know the leaves are the factories they're doing the photosynthesis they're making all the energy so that you can get these great blooms so you can raise tropical plants here you and you in can get Minnesota. them you can get them uh, when they're on sale like that because that's what I would do because uh, that's the best thing to do and like you said if, if, if you're not sure because it looks a little bad I think that's why this one looked a little scruffy Right. And I thought, you know, it's really not that bad. And, and sometimes maybe ask a master gardener if you're not sure about it and they can help you. You know, and the other thing about a plant, um, when it has, I always call it like mechanical damage or, or bug damage, unless it would have a huge infestation and you'd turn the leaves over and you'd see eggs and you'd see right. that, that maybe it had some of this uh, this gray material on it. It's safe to bring something like that home as long as you isolate it from the rest of your plants and make sure that you've got the thing under control. Because for five dollars, it's not worth bringing a disease. Oh home no! In this case, your plants. it was in the the summer, so I just had it outside and I just kind of sure. left it kind sure. of on its own and just kind of monitored as I sprayed the inso- uh, ins- insecticidal soap on it. So. Uh, oh, and that's a good way to do that. You know, uh, one of the articles that I read as soon as I got home was um, uh, a, a question and answer uh, little article from the University of Minnesota, and it talks about could uh, the cold kill, kill off the inv- invasive bugs that we have. The Japanese beetle was a big discussion on the the uh, Master Gardener website. So yeah, so what did they say? Some said yes, some said no. I know. Well, you know, the thing of it is, it depends on, uh, first of all, in Minnesota where you live. If you're living where it gets really cold, like in northern Minnesota, I was talking to my friend Dolores, who lives up on the Canadian border, and they had had 40 below zero. Uh Now, everything gets killed off. But what they said in this article that's really important to remember is that uh, these insects, they want to survive. And they have developed so that they're Mm. looking for warm places. And if we get five to six inches of snow that we have on the ground, it's 32 degrees 
uh, at the soil line then. So they're going to survive. So if they're there or if they come into your house, they find a crack yeah. someplace and they get in, how, you know, they're just, they're very uh, adept at doing this. And it all, they also said it depends on how how fast did the soil uh, freeze before they had a chance to get down below the frost line. So if they're below that frost line, because it only goes down so far, they right. could be safe. But even if you've got a lot of snow right away, you know, four or five inches, uh, they didn't have to go very deep, it, you know. And if, maybe if they find a, found an old log or a building in the outbuilding that they could uh, get into too, and they're safe. And as I was reading this article, this is absolutely true, I saw a box elder bug oh. in my <laughs> no. south window in the sunshine, and it must have somehow, either it was in one of the uh, plants that was up there or, or somehow, but it, the sunshine coming in must mm. have woke it up oh, and yeah. that was moving around. And I said, that's it, you know, <laughs> last chance, that's it, you shouldn't have woke up, you should have stayed till spring and went back outside again. You know, you're not welcome here. But, so... Um, if you're hoping that the emerald ash borer will be killed with this cold weather, probably not so much because uh, it has to be at least uh, 20 below, and then mm. that will take care of maybe 50% of them. The rest of them have managed to escape because that's what they do. They're, they're smart about this. And really things. all in all, this this winter really has been, I think, considerably warm and dry. I am really concerned about the lack of snow cover and all the lack of precipitation we had going into December and November. I know you were gone probably during much of that time, but it's been extremely dry here. And, and a lot of the times we rely on that snow melting to provide a lot of that uh, moisture that goes down in the spring sure. for the plants to access. So my concern is if we don't get some more, it's going to be pretty tough in the spring and, and we could be headed for a drought. You know, this whole thing with climate change, uh, it, we can't just accept that things, we can do things like we normally did. Because when we were coming uh, through some of the, the southern states when we were coming home, you could see the, how low the water levels were on the lakes and things. And people had docks out, and you'd have to go way, uh, out. way, way, way out to, to, to get the water. So it is, uh, weather is changing. And a lot of times now when I'm looking <laughs> at buying new plants, whether it's seeds or perennials or any type of plants that I'm going to put outside, I will look to see if they are drought tolerant because I know that realistically I've got a lot of plants and to water them all is is simply, even with all the rain barrels I have, is, is really tough. <laughs> and I want to be cognizant of saving water because it's such a precious resource. So I do look now for more of those drought tolerant plants. Yes. And, you know, we could certainly say that adding rain barrels is great, but if you don't get the rain... Right. Then you're in trouble. That's right. That's right. And also another thing that's really important is, you know, have the mulch ready so that uh, when there's moisture in the soil yet, after it warms up, that you can put some mulch on and start saving your soil. Don't let it don't wait till there's a problem. Now, one of the plants that I found takes a lot of moisture are the coleus. They yes, I love I love coleus, and I've got the ones that kind of like a little shade because seams in the shade you don't lose the the moisture from the soil quite as quickly. And some will take need all sun, and some 
need more shade. Yeah, that's true. As a matter of fact, I had two that I grew in pots so that I could move them around and move them underneath the tree and into the deeper shade uh, when we had less rain or if I was going to be gone. But here's what I found out. The color in the leaves you lose a lot of that. I have one that's called... Uh, you mean with the lack of moisture? No, with, or the with, the, with the shade. Oh, shade, right. The more shade they got, the less the color came out. And Peter's Wonder, which is a coleus that has crinkly leaves. The edges are crinkled, just like a ruffle. And then they have uh, red and green and cream in them. And the heavier the shade was, the more... I lost, and they become more green. Sure. So, and now when I moved them to the house, I found this to be true too. Uh, I started them in the North Bay window and found out that I was losing so much color. Moved them to the South, and right away that color started coming back. You know, I think that's interesting too to think about when you're ordering something you, with all these beautiful catalog pictures we see now, and you think, ah, that's what it's going to look like. It might look like that, but like you said, if you put it in a place where the sunlight isn't enough or too much or something. It might not look like that. And you say, well, what happened? For example, some hostas prefer shade. And if you get them in the sun, they're going to kind of bleach or, or um, what is it, fade? or Sure. Yeah, sure. and they don't look as good. Yeah. So keep that in mind when you're looking in a catalog. And if you're going to order some things, if it says... Uh, it needs partial shade, and you've got the middle of the yard what's really sunny, you're, you might be disappointed that it's not looking or producing as you thought that it should. Yes. And, you know, partial shade is kind of a um, nebulous term, yes. too, because what does that mean? For one person, it means that, well, you know, there's some branches extending out. and But if it, if it says shade, um, it'll say, it should say deep shade, you know, it, or... Uh, uh, four hours a day of sunlight or six hours a day of sunlight. It'll tolerate that. That's a better indication of what you're dealing with. I got a new catalog. I've been getting a lot of them lately, as you, I'm sure you have, but Select Seeds, I believe it was, and they have the little symbol showing that it's a if it's a sun with nothing in the middle, it's full sun or with a half, you know, shaded, yep. it's half. And then, so I looked at the whole catalog because I'm really looking for pretty much full shade because I've got that hillside mm-hmm. on the north side of the lake house. And there was only one thing in that entire, I don't know if it was 30 or 40 page catalog that had a fully shaded thing, and that was some violets. Right. So, I mean, there's not a lot of choices in some cases. <laughs> yes. And and then with a violet, so you have a very short season where you're going to get a bloom there. Right. So uh, that other, other than that, it's going to just look green. I was also going to say with uh, plants, a lot of times we'll get a question about, you know, my plant just isn't thriving. I bought it. It was really beautiful. It had a lot of color. Mm -hmm. And what people want to do is fertilize. And that's the worst thing if it's struggling. So look at the light requirements. Go right back to that. And if you bought a potted plant or if you bought seeds from a catalog, be sure, like you're saying, find out what the light requirements are. Because that's how the plant is making food. When you don't give it the right conditions, you're shutting off the factory for for part of the day. And you don't want to do that because the factory is making the energy that's going to propel the plant to do great things for you. And, you know, starting seeds is something people will be starting to think about pretty soon here. It's a a little ways away for some things, but some of the flowers that take longer to get blooms on them, uh, and you want to start seeds. I'll remember on the farm... uh, 
I didn't know that much about plant science or anything. I mean, obviously we were farmers. My parents were good farmers and everything. But as far as raising plants in the house, what would start seeds, we'd put them in garden soil from the garden, which mm-hmm. big mistake because right. it has a lot of diseases. But everybody did that. Oh, everybody did it. Yes. But then we'd also just stick it in a window, and we didn't have giant windows right. or anything. Everybody did that, yes. too. And so what would happen, they would damp off because they would get that fungus thing. So like you'd, you'd get these long, leggy things, and they try and you know go toward the, the window, and they'd be like these long, skinny, stringy things. And you'd turn them, even though you turn them every day, mm-hmm. and a lot of times they would just go kaput. So it, it sometimes pays to invest. If you're going to invest in the seeds, and seeds are kind of expensive now. They they are. They've gotten more expensive, and that's because there's fewer seed companies. Right, and you might want to invest in a light, an overhead light, because some uh, I will say not sometimes, most of the time, the the window light, even if you got a giant window, is usually not enough. Right. And also um, maybe a heating uh, pad underneath. That's one thing that I found that's made me successful because I used <coughs> to just not do it because raise uh, raise plants from seeds because it never worked. But I got the right tools and it helps. You know, and that's so true. Last night I was watching a program, one that I try to follow, and it's Life Below Zero. It's in Alaska. And this gentleman had a greenhouse. Well, you know, our son is in Alaska and he has a greenhouse. And that's one of the ways that you're able to uh, raise a lot of food for yourself. And one of the things that he did in his greenhouse, which I've never seen before, he put his peppers, he started his peppers, uh, so he had seedlings, and he put them in upside down. So he made a hole in the container that he was uh, uh, going to put them in, pushed them into the bottom, and hung them from the rafters in his greenhouse so that they were really close to sun. And of course, on the ground, it's going to be cooler. And uh, we know that peppers love heat. And yes. he said that the pepper will turn itself around and go upward towards the sun, but the roots are staying warm. So this whole idea of keeping the roots, the soil warm is so very, very important to do. Right. And and you, you can, I, some of those, those heat pads, they are kind of expensive though. But they it's last worth forever. It. Well, they well. Although I've had some that have conked out after a year, so I'm not saying that because I have not had the good luck <laughs> with that. Do you know what, Karen? I think uh, when you when you roll them up, how you store them, I think you break the wires. So maybe in there. I did that. Maybe you know. Maybe you should just stretch it out and leave it flat. Oh. So and I think you'll have better luck with that, and it should last you a long time. The other thing is, fertilizer is really important too. And as our days get longer now. We can fertilize, even if we do it at half strength, but I love the organic fertilizers. I'm using liquid kelp outside, which I mix with water, and I'm using it inside. It has a little stinky smell to it. It does. (laughs) But it does evaporate after a short while. Did you see that bottle I put on the desk to show you what I've been... I have some organic kind of a fertilizer here that I've been using. Dr. Earth. Dr. Earth it is, and it's got the kelp and all kinds of other products that kind of smell bad. And when I open it, the students are like, oh, what's that smell? And I've been giving it very diluted throughout this season as well. Yes, and and the other thing is... uh, So the soil needs to be warm, the roots need to be warm, and the water needs to be at room temperature when you water your indoor plants. They do so much better. If you'll just fill a container, put it on your counter, uh, 
and let it, uh, the next day you can mix in your fertilizer and you'll be at the right temperature for your plants. And you know, I found a little secret that's on campus I didn't know about. I've been watering from the, the drinking fountain out here and of course it's treated with fluoride and chloride Absolutely. or whatever kind of stuff. But uh, printing services across campus has to use uh, I think if they treat their water with a reverse osmosis or something, so it removes sure. all chemicals because they need it for the printing. And so um, the the head of the printing services says, come up and fill some of your water jugs, and you can give your plants that pure water, which I think I'm going to do because I think that it helps them. Because you'll notice that sometimes what happens is spider plants or other plants will concentrate those salts in yes. the end of their tips, yes. and, and they, they turn brown. brown. Yeah. And you think they're drying. Well, is my plant drying out? No, it's because they've got those those harsh the, salts in there. Well, that's a real bargain. Yeah. And, you know, I know lots of people that when it warms up, they will collect rainwater Perfect. just to yeah. water the plants with and to wash the plants up with because we do have a lot of, of extra mineral and things that are, are in the water that the plant doesn't like. Absolutely. Well, Barb, it's so great to have you back. You and I were like two little kids when we saw each other, telling each other all what's going on. And um, thanks so much. And if you have any questions, Barb's going to be around because she volunteers here. So you can call her at 507 Absolutely. We love to talk about things, don't we? 5678 and uh, talk gardening. Thanks, Barb. Bye-bye, Karen.